12 Years a Slave, Chapter 4. Oh, hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. Welcome to Podcasting Poorly. <laughs> I am totally leaving that in. 12 Years a Slave, Chapter 4, Take 2. At intervals during the first night of Eliza's incarceration in the pen, she, uh, she complained bitterly to Jacob Brooks, her young mistress's husband. She declared that she had been aware of the deception he intended to practice upon her. Oh, had she been aware of the deception he intended to practice upon her, he never would have brought her there alive. They had... We're going to cut some of that out. <laughs> they had chosen the opportunity of getting her uh, away when Master Barry was absent from the plantation. He had always been kind to her. She wished that she could see him, but she knew that even he was uh, unable now to rescue her. Then would she commence weeping again, kissing the sleeping children, talking first to one, then the other, as they lay in their unconscious slumbers, with their heads upon their, her lap. With their heads upon her lap. So wore the long night away, and when the morning dawned, and night had come again, still she kept morning on, and would not be consoled. About midnight, midnight, about midnight following, the cell door opened, and Birch and Rat Radburn entered, with lanterns in their hands. Birch, with an oath, ordered us to roll up our blankets without delay, and get ready to go on board the boat. He swore we would be left or left unless we hurried fast. That doesn't seem so bad. He aroused the children from their slumbers with a rough shake and said they were and said it's D dash D, like one word, maybe dead sleepy or something. They were di I'm they were I'm just gonna guess that it's supposed to be dead sleepy. I don't know. It appeared. Said they were dead sleepy, it appeared. Going out into the yard, he called Clem Ray, ordering him to leave the loft and come into the cell and bring his blanket with him. When Clem appeared, he placed us side by side and fastened us together with handcuffs, my left hand to his right. John Williams... <laughs> Did I completely miss the fact that one of them is named John Williams? <laughs> A.K.A famous composer of movie music from Star Wars to E.T. to Indiana Jones to Jurassic Park, probably some more modern things that I can't think of right now. One of the greats, surely. John Williams had been taken out a day or two before, his master having redeemed him greatly to his delight. Yay! Clem and I uh, were ordered to march, Eliza and the children following. We were conducted into the yard from thence into the covered passage and up a flight of steps through a side door into the upper room, where I had heard the walking to and fro. Uh, its furniture was a stove, a few old chairs, and a long table covered with papers. Um, it was a whitewashed room without any carpet on the floor and seemed a sort of office 
one by one, or by one of the windows, I remember, hung a rusty sword, okay, which attracted my attention. Birch's trunk was there. Uh, in obedience to his orders, I took hold of one of its handles with my unfettered hand, while taking hold of the other, we proceeded out, um, out of the front door into the street in the same order we had left the cell. It was a dark night. The dark night rises, or not. It was a dark night. All was quiet. I could see the lights, or the reflection of them, over towards Pennsylvania Avenue, but there was none, not even a straggler, to be seen. I was almost resolved to attempt to break away. Had I not been handcuffed, the attempt would certainly have been made. Whatever consequence might have followed, that's probably why you're attached to each other. Radburn was in the rear, carrying a large stick, and hurrying up the hurrying up the children as fast as the little ones could walk. So we passed handcuffed in silence or and in silence through the streets of Washington, through the capital of a nation whose theory of government, we are told, rests on the foundation of a man's inalienable right to live or to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Exclamation point. Hail! Exclamation point. Columbia, happy land, indeed! Exclamation point. <laughs> In modern times, on social media, this would include a hashtag sarcasm or a slash s <laughs> or something like that. Um, okay, or irony, maybe. Have we talked about I irony? I don't remember. I remember um, there's the Alanis Morissette song. In uh, isn't it ironic? And there's a stand-up comedian i want to say maybe sabrina matthews is her name maybe or that could be a completely different person but um anyway uh this comedian has a bit about alanis morissette and um ironic because most of the things in the song are not actually ironic. They're just unfortunate. Um, so, uh, she has a bit about, it's like, no, Alanis, that is, it's just unfortunate. It's not ironic. And she goes on and gives great examples of how to edit it to make it ironic and that kind of stuff. I'm not going to, uh, to, you know, ruin the bit for you entirely, but you should check it out. If, um, you think wordplay like that is funny. Cause I do. And I'm a nerd and actually, yep, it's Sabrina Matthews. Um, I believe I actually saw her live in college. Um, but I was familiar with her already from comedy central, but, uh, anyway, um, the irony thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Reaching the steamboat, we were quickly hustled into the hold among the barrel among barrels and boxes of freight. A colored servant brought a light, brought a light, the bell rung, and soon the vessel started down the Potomac, carrying us we knew not where. The bell tolled as we passed the tomb of Washington. Exclamation point. Birch, no doubt. Or, the bell tolled as we passed the tomb of Washington. <laughs> Maybe. 
Birch, no doubt, with uncovered head, bowed reverently before the sacred ashes of the man who devoted his illustrious life to the liberty of his country. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is really sarcastic. <laughs> I did not expect that. I did not expect to laugh at all while reading this book, so this is pleasant. I am sure... I am going to get punched in the gut at some point in the next couple of chapters and the gut punching may not stop, but at least we have some, some levity here. None of us slept that night, but Randall and little Emmy for the first time, Clem Ray was wholly overcome to him. The idea of going South was terrible in the extreme. He was leaving the friends and associations of his youth. Everything that would, separate words, everything that was dear, not everything that was dear uh, and precious to his heart in all probability, never to return. He and Eliza mingled their tears together, bemoaning their cruel fate for my own part. Difficult as it was, I endeavored to keep up my spirits through sarcasm. Um, I resolved in my mind a hundred plans of escape and fully determined to make the attempt the first desperate chance that offered. Um, I had by this time become satisfied, however, that my true policy was to say nothing further on the subject of having been born a free man. Freeman. Um, I would... <sighs> and now, in my head, I have the narration of Morgan Freeman, particularly from Shawshank Redemption. Is it Red, his name? <laughs> I had, by this time... Uh, become satisfied, however, that my true policy was to say nothing further on the subject of having been born a freeman. I am not going to be able to keep that up, by the way, and that wasn't really an impression of Morgan Freeman. Um, I dare not even try. I am not worth attempting an impression of Morgan Freeman. Um, it was more an attempt to match a cadence that he might use. Um, it would but expose me to maltreatment and diminish the chances of liberation. After sunrise in the morning, we were called up on deck to breakfast. Birch took our handcuffs off, and we sat down to table. Oh, nice. <laughs> we asked Eliza if we, um, if she would take a dram. She declined. Thank. You. Oh, he asked Eliza if she would take a dram. I'm not sure what a dram is. Maybe Dramamine is named after it, like a, something to settle her stomach on the, on the water. Um, she declined, thanking him politely. During the meal, uh, we were all silent. Not a word passed between us. A mulatto woman who served at table seemed to take an interest in our behalf told us to cheer up and not be so cast down. Breakfast over, the handcuffs were restored, and Birch ordered us out of the stern deck. We sat down together on some boxes, uh, still saying nothing in Birch's presence. So, um, the removal of the handcuffs, the shackles, and then the replacement of them reminded me of... Um, I'm not going to get into the whole story exactly, but um, it was a description of um, just a philosophical discussion of um, what heaven and we'll say the bad place uh, yeah uh, are like and um, they were virtually identical where every person was seated at a long table um, 
two sides. So kind of like, you know, Harry Potter's great room or something or great hall. Um, there's one long table, uh, people sitting across from each other all the way down, um, forever, as far as the eye could see. And on this table was a whole bunch of awesome, you know, great food. Um, you know, everything you could ever want, uh, you know, tailored to specific people's tastes and all that stuff, uh, was, you know, close, close at hand if they liked it. Um, and, and that, um, in, in both places, completely identical. The difference, or, but, but the thing is the people didn't have elbows. So the only difference between the good place and the bad place, if you will, um, not speaking of the TV show, um, the only difference is that in heaven, the people are kind enough to realize that they should feed each other. And in the other place, they're only... I hit the mic. We're going to cut that out. And in the other place, they're trying to feed themselves. And they fail miserably. So this um, unshackling and reshackling kind of reminds me, it's like, well, you know, if you made them work together, they could probably remain shackled. Not that I would prefer to get, not that I would like to give advice to a slave taker, but the thought entered my mind. Of course, you perhaps you don't want to encourage teamwork either. So maybe they had that thought. Occasionally, a passenger would walk out to where uh, we were look at us for a while, then silently return. It was a very pleasant morning. All things considered. Um, that, that was me, not the book. Uh, the fields along the river were covered with ver ver verdure, ver verdure, ver verdure, probably far in advance of what I had been accustomed to see that season of the year. Okay. Um, the sun shone out warmly. The birds were singing in the trees. The happy birds, I envied them. Um, I wished for wings like them, that I might cleave the air to where my birdlings waited vainly for their father's coming, on the cooler or in the cooler region of the north. In the forenoon, the steamer reached Aquia Creek. There, the, pa the passengers took stages. Birch and his five slaves occupying one exclusively. He left with the children, and at one stopping place went so far as to purchase them a piece of gingerbread. How nice? Question mark. He told me to hold up my head and look smart. That I might, perhaps, get a good master if I behaved myself. I made him no reply. His face was hateful to me, and I could not bear to look upon it. I sat in the corner, cherishing in my heart the hope, not yet extinct, of some day meeting the tyrant on the stroll, or on the soil of my native state. At Fredericksburg, we were transferred from uh, the stagecoach to a car, and before uh, before dark arrived in Richmond, the chief city of Virginia. At this city, we were taken from the cars and driven. Uh, through the street to a slave pen between the railroad depot and the river 
kept by a Mr. Gooden. This pen is similar to Williams's in Washington, except it is somewhat larger, and besides, there were two small houses standing on opposite corners within the yard. These houses are usually found within slave yards, being used as rooms for the examination of human chattels by purchasers before concluding a bargain. Unsoundness in a slave, as well as in a horse, detracts materially from its value. If no warranty is given, a close examination is a matter of particular importance to the Negro jockey. Interesting metaphor. We were met at the door of Gooden's yard, Gooden's yard by that gentleman himself, a short, fat man with a round, plump face, black hair and whiskers, and a complexion almost as dark as some of his own Negroes. He had a hard, stern look and, per- and was perhaps about 50 years of age. Birch and he met with great cordiality. They were evidently old friends. Shaking each other warmly by the hand, Birch remarked, he had brought some company, inquired at what time the brig would leave, and was answered that it would probably leave the next day at such an hour. Gooden then turned to me, took hold of my arm, and turned uh, took hold of my arm part uh, eh, took hold of my arm, turned me partly around, looked at me sharply with the air of one who considered himself a good judge of property, and as if estimating in his own mind about how much I was worth. Um, and as if estimating in his own... I'm going to repeat that sentence and try to do it without stumbling too much, because it did not really end in my estimation. Gooden then turned to me, took hold of my arm, turned me partly around, looked at me sharply with the air of one who considered himself a good judge of property, and as if estimating in his own mind about how much I was worth, dot, 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 you know, finish the sentence, I don't know. Well, okay, maybe that this explains it, because um, maybe it's uh, a structure thing, J- just a, a choice of the way the syntax is, because the next paragraph is dialogue. Well, boy, where did you come from? So, as if doing these things, well, boy, where did you come from? Forgetting myself for a moment, I answered, from New York. New York? Okay, Th- this This book is, like, censored in weird ways or something. Because I'm thinking, instead of dead sleepy, it was damned sleepy. I might as well just have said heaven and hell earlier. New York hell. Because it says hell here, except it's censored. I don't know why. That's weird. I don't remember picking... I don't remember um, getting a censored edition. But... um, What have you been doing up there? was his astonished interrogatory. Observing Birch at this moment, looking at me with an angry expression that conveyed a meaning it was not difficult to understand, I immediately said, Oh, I have only been up that way a piece, my entire life, in a manner intended to imply that although I might have been as far as New York, yet I wished it distinctly understood that I did not belong to that free state, nor to any other. Gooden then turned to Clem and, and then to Eliza and the children, examining them severally and asking various questions. He was pleased with Emily 
as was everyone who saw the child's sweet countenance. She was not as tidy as when I first beheld her. Her hair was now somewhat disheveled. Can, can hair be sheveled or heveled? I don't know. Um, but through, but through its unkempt and can it be kempt uh, and soft profusion, there still beamed a little face of most surpassing loveliness. Altogether, we were a fair lot, a devilish good lot, he said, enforcing that opinion uh, with more than one empathetic adjective not found in Christian vocabulary. <laughs> uh, empathic adjective, sorry, not found in Christian vo vocabulary. Thereupon, we passed into the yard. Uh, quite a number of slaves, as many as 30, I should say, were moving about or sitting on benches under the shed. They were all cleanly dressed, the men with hats, the women with handkerchiefs tied about their heads. Birch and Gooden, after separating from us, walked up the steps at the back part of the main building and sat down upon the door sill. They entered into the conversation, but the subject of it uh, I could not hear. Presently, Birch came down into the yard, unfettered me, and led me into one of the small houses. You told that man you came from New York, said he. I replied, I told him I had been up as far as New York, to be sure, but I did not tell him I belonged there, nor that I was a freeman. I meant no harm at all, Master Birch. Ooh, shade. I would not have said it, had I thought. He looked at me a moment, as if he would was ready to devour me, then turning around went out. In a few minutes he returned. If ever I hear you say a word about New York or about your freedom, I will be the death of you. I will kill you, you may rely on that, he ejaculated fiercely. I doubt not, he understood then better than I did, uh, the danger and the penalty of selling a free man into slavery. He felt the necessity of closing my mouth against the crime before he or the crime he knew he was committing. Of course, my life would not have weighed a feather in any emergency requiring such a sacrifice. Undoubtedly, he meant precisely what he said. <sighs> um, yeah, um, under the shed on one side of the yard, there was constructed a rough table, while overheard uh, were sleeping lofts, the same as in the pen at Washington. After partaking at this table of our supper of pork and bread, I was handcuffed to a large yellow man, must, uh, Asian, I assume, quite stout and fleshy, with a countenance expressive of the utmost melancholy. He was a man of intelligence and information. Chained together, it was not long before we became acquainted with each other's history. His name was Robert. Like myself, he had been born free and had a wife and two children in Cincinnati. He had come south with two men who had hired him in the city of his residence. Without free papers, he had been seized at Fredericksburg, placed in confinement, and beaten until he had learned, as I had, the necessity and the policy of silence. He had been in Gooden's pen about three weeks. Uh, to this man, I became much attached. Uh, we could sympathize with and understand each other. It was with tears and a heavy heart, not many days subsequently, that I saw him die and looked for the last time upon his lifeless form. 
okay, is that supposed to be uh, foreshadowing, or is that all we're going to learn? I guess we'll find out. Robert and myself, with Clem, Eliza, and her children, slept that night upon our blankets in one of the small houses in the yard. There were four others, all from the same plantation, who had been sold, and were now on their way south, who, uh, oh, who also occupied it with us. Uh, David and his wife, Caroline, both mulattoes, were exceedingly affected. Sorry, exceedingly affected. They dreaded the thought of being put in or put into the cane and cotton fields, but their greatest source of anxiety was the apprehension of being separated. Mary, a tall, lithe girl of a most jetty black, was listless and apparently indifferent. Like many of the class, she scarcely knew there was such a word as freedom. Bought up in the ignorance of a brute, uh, or brought up in the ignorance of a brute, she possessed but little more than a brute's intelligence. She was one of those, and there are very many, who fear nothing but their master's lash, and know no further duty than to obey his voice. The other was Le- Lethe? Leth? I don't know. She was of an entirely different character. She had long, straight hair and bore more the appearance of an Indian than a Negro woman. She had sharp and spiteful eyes and continually gave the utterance uh, to the language, or gave utterance to the language of hatred and revenge. Her husband had been sold. She knew not where he was. An exchange of masters, she was sure, could not be for the worse. She cared not whither they might carry her. Pointing to the scars upon her face, the desperate creature wished that she might see the day when she could wipe them off in some man's blood. While we were thus learning the history of each other's wretchedness, Eliza was seated in a corner by herself, singing hymns and praying for her children. Wearied uh, Wearied from the loss of so much sleep, I could no longer bear up against the advances of that, quote, sweet restorer, and laying down by the side of Robert on the floor, soon forgot my troubles, and slept until dawn of, er, until the dawn of day. In the morning, having swept the yard and washed ourselves under Gooden's superintendence, we were ordered to roll up our blankets and make ready for the continuance of our journey. Clem Ray was informed that he would go no further, Butch, for some cause, having concluded to carry him back to Washington. He was much rejoiced. Yay. Um, shaking hands, we parted uh, in the slave pen at, Ret- at Richmond, and I have not seen him since. But, much to my surprise, since my return, I learned that he had escaped from bondage. Yay! (laughs) Real rejoice. And on his way to the free soil of Canada, lodged one night at the house of my brother-in-law in in Saratoga. Coincidence. Informing my family of the place and condition in which he left me. At least they knew something, right? In the afternoon, we were drawn up to abreast, Robert and myself in advance. And in this order, driven by Birch and Gooden, fr- Gooden from the yard, uh, through the streets of Richmond to the big Orleans. She was a vessel of respectable size, full-rigged, and uh, freighted principally with tobacco. We were all on board by five o'clock. Birch brought us each a tin cup and a spoon. There were forty of us in the brig, being all except Clem that were in the pen. Uh, with a small pocket knife that had not been taken from me, 
Nice. I began cutting the initials of my name upon the tin cup. The others immediately flocked round me, requesting me to mark theirs in a similar manner. In time, I graffitied them all. Uh, I gratified them all, sorry. Not speaking of the cups, but of the people. I gratified them all, of which they did not appear to be forgetful. Uh, We were all stowed away in the hold at, at night, and the hatch barred down. We laid on boxes, and wherever there was room enough to stretch our blankets on the floor... Birch accompanied us no farther than Richmond, returning from that point to the capital with Clem, not until the lapse of almost twelve years to wit in January last, in the Washington police office, did I set my eyes upon his face again. Oh, but he did. Again, foreshadowing. Kind of obvious foreshadowing, but still. (laughs) James H. Birch was a slave trader, buying men, women, and children at low prices and selling them at an advance. He was a a speculator, not a spectacular, a speculator in human flesh, a disreputable calling, and also considered at the South. uh, Oh, and so considered at the South. He was a speculator in human flesh, and so considered at the South. Okay. Um, For the present, he disappears from the scenes recorded in this narrative, but he will appear again before its close. Not in the character of a man-whipping tyrant, but as an arrested, cringing criminal in a court of law that failed to do him justice. Yay. Uh, Well, that's the end of chapter four. Um... Yeah, so far it's, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the book is good. It, it is, especially this chapter had a lot of, um, le- like I said, levity in it and not a lot of gut punches. So I'm feeling pretty good about this so far. Um, I am sure that I'm going to get much more uncomfortable as we go, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, anyway, if, uh, if, you, if you like what I'm doing, Feel free to rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on whatever platform you use. If you use a platform that you cannot find this um, this podcast on, um, you can reach out to me and I can see if I can get registered on it somehow. I don't really, uh, I, I don't know what all's out there. So um, I, uh, uh, you can reach out to me um, on Twitter at reading poorly or email at uh, reading comma poorly at gmail.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-M-M-A-P-O-O-R-L-Y. No punctuation at gmail.com. Huh. Um, I already said rate and review on iTunes or whatever platform. Yeah, I think I said everything. I'm somehow managing to streamline this. I don't know, but I'm going to say it differently every time at least. Because, <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe eventually it'll be the same with practice. So, um, anyway, thank you for this listening. Have I said that before? I think I kind of got deja vu. Thank you for listening this long, (laughs) listening this long. Thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly.